Hello and welcome to Pulpy Fiction, a home for conversations about movies, TV shows, books, anime, video games, or whatever else you, you like so much, you love it. Let us take a deeper look into what they actually mean to us and the reason why that is. My name is Ryder, the beholder of many things, a contemporary nerd who talks too much. And with me today, I have my best friend in the world, Brando the Mando, Brandon. What's up, guys? And we are going to be talking about the Book of Boba Fett. So, Brandon, hey, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, very good. Very good. This is a show that I think we've been uh, excited for for a while. I mean, after obviously after the end of The Mandalorian, because they had like that little snippet at the end of the second season. Did you think that it lives up to the hype a little bit after we've watched the first few episodes? I will say I think I was less excited than most people, given that I was thoroughly enjoying the Mandalorian storyline. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they kind of up until the book of Boba Fett actually coming out. I feel like they were using the Mandalorian to kind of jumpstart the Boba Fett project that they weren't sure how it was going to do. Mm, yeah. And so until the episode started rolling out, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it. But now that they're actually hitting the screen, I'm thoroughly enjoying them. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because I never thought about it like that in terms of like jumpstarting it. There was that whole like talk about a Boba Fett movie and then a Boba Fett TV show. And then I think that kind of morphed into the Mandalorian, if I'm not mistaken. But I never thought about it as being kind of like a jumpstart. I, I, we're not going to go into it right now because we're only talking about the first two episodes. But I know that the last two episodes kind of lean the other direction in terms of maybe that maybe the show supports the Mandalorian more than anything else. Right. Um, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Obviously, you and I have been fans of Star Wars for probably since, you know, as soon as we can watch movies. Maybe you a little bit earlier than me grew up watching Star Wars at a very young age, correct? Yeah, and I still have my VHS box set of the original trilogy. The unedited, right? What, unedited, was it? terrible yeah. graphics. Did Greedo I mean, shoot first? Uh, no, Han definitely shot first in the okay, copies good. that I have. Good, good, good. Okay, awesome. So the, we're, we're kind of on the same page, although I think I've only ever seen my Greedo shooting first, if I'm not mistaken. But either way, I've know, I know the tale, so that's what it is. Okay, so jumping right into it, this is going to be chapter one of the Book of Boba Fett, obviously a spinoff of The Mandalorian, where at the end of Mandalorian season two, we see Boba Fett and, I forget her name, Fair, what's her name? Shank, was her name, last name Shank? Shan. Fennec. Shan, that's what it is, cool name. Come in and kill Bib Fortuna, probably, I would say, one of the most memorable, forgettable characters of Star Wars, because I'm pretty sure I had a toy about this guy. And he wasn't even that important. But I uh, truthfully don't think I ever knew his name until he died. Like it's funny. He was the like ugly, fatter Twi'lek who was like Jabba, an albino too. Because well, because most Twi'leks, if I'm not mistaken, were kind of attractive. (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, had color and were attractive, right? He he had like like red eyes and like he was an albino. Like he's like, and one was like wrapped around his chest. Yeah, and then like one tentacle was wrapped like in the front of his chest and one was kind of going behind. I think I only knew his name because I got a toy of him when I was... I, I don't even know if he showed up. I think he showed up in maybe... Was it the Revenge of the Sith? Like, in, I don't know. I thought that maybe... I mean, he's is it, he's prominent no. with Jabba throughout the original trilogy. Like, as yeah, prominent but, as Jabba is 
you get Bib Fortuna with him. Yeah, but I think he did show up in like the prequels because I think well, maybe because I mean you probably see him at the Pod Racer race, right? Mm, because probably. he's got to be the job is there. But anyway, I thought I, va- I vaguely remember him being a toy, and I have him there, and I knew his name, but he was never really that interesting of a character. Um, so at the end of that, they kill him and they take the throne, which was Jabba's. And this is where we are now. So chapter one, Stranger in a Strange Land, written by John Favreau, obviously, and directed by Robert Rodriguez, another fantastic director who is kind of over the top, is known to kind of be Quentin Tarantino-esque director where violence is on the table at all times. El Mariachi and Once Upon a Time in Mexico, I believe, or two. He had something to do uh, with the Grindhouse movie. I think it was Planet Terror that kind of stuff. And he's directed a couple episodes in The Mandalorian as well. So I'm glad to see him return. And I think he's taking a little bit of ownership of Boba Fett as well. So it's kind of a passion project for him and John Favreau, I believe. And obviously Dave Filoni, because he's the Jesus of the Star Wars universe. Okay, so when we start off in this episode, we first see Boba in the back to tank, which is a staple of Star Wars, and where he has visions. And correct me if I'm wrong, Brandon, but I believe that this seems to be kind of a a story mechanic to where when he's in the back to tank, he kind of flips over and kind of it, remembers. It gives things. us like the flashback. Here's yeah. how we got to this point. Yeah. Telling of the story without taking away from where he currently is. Yeah. I think using but, the back to tank as that like device to tell, <laughs> to help tell the story through his quote unquote dreams is I think it was a very good story choice because it's like, okay, this is what happened. This is how we got from I'm in the Sarlacc pit to I'm sitting on Jabba's throne. How did I get in this wacky situation? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I I do like that it like a story mechanic. I thought that was it was pretty cool. So it was kind of built in instead of just kind of rammed down your throat like, oh, this is information you should know, you know. And also, I like the visual cue of it kind of turning grainy and green, you know, and then that was when you were kind of like flashing back. I don't know if you noticed that, but whenever it would start a flashback sequence, the like it would look different, like it was kind of hazy. And yeah, it would, it would like, start out normal. differently. Yeah. So I liked that. So it was kind of a visual cue of that you're not in the same timeline, even though it's so vastly different. There was no way you could mistake it anyway. During his visions, he has two visions specifically, one of Kamino, the watery factory planet where him and his brethren were created. I guess they were forced to be older age and he was younger. And then episode two, that moment with uh, Django's helmet where he kind of puts the helmet to his head and of him like, you I mean, guess like you mean the part where a head should have just fallen yeah, yeah. out of the helmet. Well, you know, that was it's funny that you say that too. I could I would have swore up and down that Django like when I was a kid, I swore up and down that Django was alive but in between two and three's release because no head was there. You know what I mean? Like I was like, clearly they would be a head. He was I, like a kid. I read a fan theory that said that the clone Mandalorian style helmets fit mm-hmm. so tightly. Oh, and that just like, his head didn't in. Fall, like but how just, uncomfortable was stuck in the, what? Just imagine how, how uncomfortable it's like. I guess it's the equivalent of wearing like a gas mask, but still like, right. that's a and bit much. You get that nice shot in this first episode of what Boba's vision actually is. Yeah. And it's just a pretty tea. cool. And Man. it's like, we thought this was a good idea for an entire army. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, at this point, I would believe that it fit tightly enough that Django's head would not fall out of it like yeah i guess so but we we see that moment where he's kind of like grieving his father which is himself 
where he puts the helmet to his own head. You know, I guess that's where he's kind of taken the mantle of the bounty hunter on, you know, in some way, because I know that he also shows up and we're, we're going to we're going off key a little bit. All right. uh, but I know he also shows up in Clone Wars, right? Yeah, because Clone Wars picks up. In yeah. That gap so like, so he, so he does, he does some shit there too. He's a survivor. You know what I mean? Like his dad taught him how to survive. You know what I mean? And so he's a scrappy kid, and he grew into a scrappy man that just happened to fr- freeze a guy in carbonite. But anyway, after those two visions conclude, we come back to the Sarlacc pit. Kind of pick up right where he falls in after the pleasure barge showdown. And this is a question that a lot of people have been asking for a long time. A lot of speculation has gone out through the nerd realm about this moment. Everyone knew that if anything was going to happen with Boba Fett, it would have to be about this moment because it was so open-ended. And of course, here we are. Inside the Sarlacc, we see that the walls are lined with like an acidic slime, as best we can tell. And the reason why I think this is because as he comes upon the body of a stormtrooper, his armor is melted away in certain areas. And I think this also causes scarring on his face, which I think the back-to-tank actually ends up helping. He steals the air supply from this stormtrooper and inserts it into his own helmet and then decides to flamethrower the insides. He's the worst heartburn ever for the Starlight Pit. He makes it throw up. I mean, yeah, that, he, he does. It's disgusting. He's in, he's in the stomach. He's in the yeah. literal belly of this beast plant. Mm-hmm. And he was like, hmm, heartburn. That, yep, that's exactly. my way out of here. Like, you know, which, which is, I was a little bit cheated because I was like, that's it. But also, I guess it kind of makes sense. If I had like a, someone shooting a flamethrower in my stomach, I would probably immediately vomit as well. So. Just on a slight tangent, because mm-hmm. we're going to keep getting on tangents as we go on this. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I just want to give full credit to John Favreau, Dave Filoni, all of them for taking the, I'm not still to this day, not sure what it's from, but the Patton Oswald clip of mm-hmm. Boba yeah. Fett's like return and I making think that to film. Like, I think it's Parks and Rec. I think it's Parks and Recreation. It's almost mm-hmm. word for word. Verbatim. What that, happens. I guess they just realized that they were like, that's visually, like, that's the only way that, you could really do that's it. That's what know? we're going for. Like, yeah, it just makes sense. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that was on Parks and Recreation, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Either way, Platt Oswald, beautiful. Chef's kiss. So Boba does get puked up, but his unconscious body gets stripped by Jawas as... Jawas tend to do. And this is when we see his burned face. I believe it was it was done by the acid, kind of like white marks. It didn't really look at even like scarring at me at first until I noticed that stormtrooper. So there you go. And I definitely get Mando vibes from the title. If if I'm not mistaken, is it the same theme? Like where it's like that, huh? And then like different it's similar. It's definitely similar because in the later episodes they use the full blown Mm -hmm. Mandalorian theme and it sounds different. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe that was that was them like letting us know like this is still very a part of that story. Like this right. isn't a completely other because I mean they even did like stuck to the chapters like scenario like how they labeled the Right. Because wasn't it chapters in The Mandalorian as well yeah. or no? Okay. So, you know, uh, maybe maybe that's what it is. I'm not sure. So, he's taken by the Tusken Raiders and these kids really just beat him up while the chief watches. The chief does not give two shits about this guy. He's clearly just slave labor. Later that night, he tricks one of their hounds, I believe is called a Massif, and then tries to get the help of this other Rodian prisoner, which I found out later. Who I don't know. Quickly sells him out. Yes, he raises like, the alarm. Like he's like he was. He's not playing this game. You know what I mean? Like he had no faith in escape. There was no way. 
Or maybe he just didn't trust him. I'm not really sure. But I did find out that this prisoner, even though you, he obviously speaks gibberish, but they could do that Star Wars thing where they like just mess with his voice and like kind of like, you know, bee boops and stuff like that or like squeakier and stuff. But this this is actually voiced by Sam Witwer, who voiced Darth Maul in the Clone Wars. Like he's fantastic. He's in the show called Being Human that I really, really liked as, a, as an, a live actor. But he does a lot of voice acting, too. Like remember, he was also like the character model and the voice for Starkiller in the Forced Unleashed games. Like he's been in like kind of like in the outside Star Wars stuff for a very long time, you know, like the cartoons and the games and stuff. Now he is back and he does this Rodian prisoner's voice, even though you don't understand what he says. So just a little funny fact. So because the Rodian prisoner sells him out, he quickly gets captured and thoroughly beat up once again. And then we kind of fuzzy transition back to the present where Fennec wakes him up and tells him that he has to receive tributes from everyone in Mos Espa. Because he is a crime lord. Yes, he is the uh, Daimo, Daimyo, Daimyo. I can't remember. Daimyo. Yes, but it is actually, I found out that, and this is also keeping in with the Star Wars kind of like Eastern Western, like amalgamation, like a Western kind of atmosphere with like Eastern like tendencies in terms of like Asiatic culture themes and elements because daimyo is actually like a kind of a term for a warlord in japan or it was at one time hmm. um so they kind of like took that term over so it kind of like lends it to that like also darth vader was kind of like his helmet was kind of it was a mixture of like nazi-esque features and like japanese samurai armor stuff anyway he makes it clear that he's had these dreams before he vocalizes it whenever fennec wakes him up Afterwards, he dons his armor for the first time, and you can tell that it's battle-worn since the Mandalorian, because when he got it painted or, like, fixed up in the Mandalorian, it was perfect, it was pristine, and for something, it, for some reason, it bothered me. It really got on my nerves that it was, like, so good-looking, you know, like, it was too, too, too nice. So I really like that he, it, it's kind of got, got it's some grit to it. He, he still has that big dent in the helmet, though. Like, yeah, yeah. He, he got it all painted and fixed yeah, but up, he just left but there's it, just, yeah. like a cave in in the helmet of it yeah man well you know there's certain things that you gotta keep you know what i mean like it's just, it's just i mean best car is expensive like yeah, I get yeah it. it is man yeah and i don't think it was supposed to be able to be dented too but here we go is it best car though do we know uh if it's true because i know mando's armor is. it is and oh okay well, because I know his was handed down from from like his father or whatever, but didn't like didn't the actual Mandalorians like criticize him and say he wasn't really a Mandalorian or but something? But then there was this whole thing in the Mandalorian where his chain code, where Boba's chain code is good, and mm -hmm. he oh and okay, okay. Was... Maybe, maybe that's for the episode if we ever go through the Mandalorian because I haven't yeah. seen it in a long time. But continuing on, when he's receiving tributes, the first one we see is a guy named Doc Drask, um, someone who Boba had previously worked for. He gives tribute in coins and furs. Also, fun fact, voiced by Robert Rodriguez. You know, I guess they, they, they try to save out on like certain voice actors. You know, either you don't understand what they say or it's just the director of the movie. So you don't have to pay him anymore. The mayor of Mos Espa does not actually attend. Instead, he sends his major domo, which is kind of like a speaker for it's people representative. of power. Yeah, like, essentially representative. He can yeah, speak it's secretary on of the mayor. Yeah, it's like an elevated secretary. You know, he doesn't quite get coffees anymore. He just goes and tells people to F.O., which is what this dude does when he offers only a heartfelt welcome for a tribute. Does he not know who Boba Fett is? I guess they just underestimate him, which is something that I guess we'll talk about a little bit later. But the Major Domo does have the balls, the cojones, enough to ask for a tribute in return. And Finnick, all she needs is the go to kill him. That's it. That's all she needs. I feel from like that's all Fennec Boba. ever needs. Is yeah. Well, I mean, I like guess when when you're in a sad look. Well, how does the saying go? When when you're a hammer, every everything is a nail. I don't know if that I probably 
rip that apart. You know I've what I mean? Never like, never heard that saying, but I get what no? you're looking for. Yeah, I mean, she's an assassin. She, all of all of her biggest problems in life have been solved by murdering someone else. So in this situation, it seems pretty plausible. Not to mention, he's this is downright dirty from the major domo. He the major domo does leave after being quickly told to fo in return. Um, but he with a veiled threat of future delegations so he's trying to throw his weight around a little bit next two gamorians come up and i believe we see them from the original trilogy as well you know just kind of like probably like background characters like the two pigmen who in this at this point are told to be very loyal creatures under java's rule but are presented by the torture droid because he seems like he is excited to torture people because that's what he's programmed for. Um, another fun fact is this destroyed is actually voiced by Matt Barry of the IT crowd, Toast of London, or what we do in the shadows, the TV show. Fantastic. I love him so much. And he brings a good comedy to that character because he just wants to torture things. Boba, however, spares their lives. He sees the loyalty as an asset and takes them into his service. And he starts to kind of build his own house of misfits of uh, people who don't quite fit in or, he knows are strong and are loyal, but don't necessarily have the highest moral values. This is probably also the first step that others begin to see weakness in his reign, because normally these people would be executed, tortured, slain. And I, w- I think this also goes towards the major domo, him just kind of not letting him off without anything after kind of doing a blatant disrespect in, in his face kind of gives off the sign that maybe he's a little bit more light-handed than people in most Espo are willing to to allow because they're going to kind of revolt. I think some of it too, which the show goes into in later episodes, and mm-hmm. I know we will because of that, is the huts are the huts. Like, you don't mess with them. And Jabba ruled for so long and had this established... Mm-hmm dynasty almost on Tatooine and it was just something that was I mean from episode one all the way through episode six Jabba is in power on Tatooine yeah he's the dude his dynasty was a dynasty that's a long span of time especially with as much death as there is in Star Wars (laughs) yeah yeah well most definitely that says a lot to his power and for, like, honestly, the kind of genetics of his race, for him to be alive that long, it's kind of ridiculous. The you Huts know? are awesome. Um, like, yeah, in, in a bad way. You know what I mean? Like, well, like, in a I good think there's, way, too. Like, extended Are some of them actually nice? About the Huts? Yeah. There were actually oh, okay. Hut Jedi? Like... That's oh, I didn't. Whole, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. I don't know okay, how much we'll, of that is canon anymore because. Yeah. Okay. Disney, we'll, but... we'll figure that out for a later episode. So later, Boba walk, decides to walk the streets of Mos Espa, denouncing the custom of a litter, which seems to kind of come back over and over as kind of like a snide remark for like people of power that he's not using a litter that he kind of walks on his own two feet. He goes inside a cantina. Um, and we get that classic, I don't know if you notice this, but it's the classic cantina music, but it's like more in a smooth, sexy jazz kind of. You know what the music, like what the actual kind of music oh, isn't is. Isn't it called right? jizz? It is jizz. Like that? that is yeah. the, the type, yeah. the genre of music. Yeah. Well, gross. Yeah, I, I know. And it's a bit ridiculous. Okay. And inside this cantina, Boba meets Garza Fwip, the owner, and stakes his claim in her business, which I'm assuming is something that Jabba did. And I guess you also see in like mafia movies and I guess actual situations where they take claim in, I guess, maybe even protection fees for businesses. Um, but she does not argue. She's she's there. 
When asked if they wanted their helmets cleaned, they say yes, Fennec really against her will. But when they're returned and Garza returns their helmets, they're filled with coins as tribute. As they leave, though, Boba tells Fennec that he wants to rule with respect. Well, Fennec says fear. That's really all she knows. You know, she's an assassin. You know, she strikes from the shadows, kills people. They're really supposed to fear her if she ever comes, if they ever know that she's there, you know? So I guess that's kind of her way. She knows fear and murder. Yeah, I mean, which uh, go hand in hand. Fennec's Isn't that dude. amazing? It goes like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, the two are then attacked in the street. And the, I have to say, this fight is pretty cool. But the Gamorreans really come to the rescue in this situation. If the Gamorreans hadn't showed up because they were... They took too long yeah yeah <laughs> like there was a moment where i was like they just talked about how loyal these dudes yeah. are and they are not coming. well you know i didn't even think about them i think that they were probably aiming towards people like me and less people like you where like they were like oh my god they're in this situation how are they going to get out of it and then forget about the gamorians and you were like i want to see these pigs fight you know what i mean like <laughs> so you probably caught it a little bit better than i did but yeah i have to say that in this moment when they decided to kick in they were really they were mvps you know because they because both Boba and Fennec were trapped in that kind of circle of shields. When the attack does fall apart, Boba literally does. Did you notice that he blew up one dude that was climbing away? Like he paused for a second yes. and then shot a rocket. And then that 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 shot also, is really cool. Also jetpack. Boba has a jetpack. Did he have it on? My, I guess he did because he had the missile. I'm yeah, pretty. Yeah, because sure I remember the, seeing the missile pop out. But also like at that, you mean like him just jetpacking out of the? Yeah. What? Out of the circle of shields. Like, he could have done more to help Fennec out. Well, okay, afterwards... By escaping the circle. Well, he was he was really weak. Then he yeah, could. Yeah, he was really weak after the circle got broke. But why didn't he use the jetpacks before? Maybe because he was prodded. But I feel like even then, I'd rather take a prod, like, on going on the way up and out than I would be, like, staying there. You know what I mean? Hit my leg instead of my. I don't know. That's leg. actually a plot a, a plot hole that I didn't really think about. So good job. Even though I know that he had his jetpack on, I remember thinking, "Wow, that that rocket looks kind of weird." You know what I mean? I mean, like obviously, it's like while he's sitting there talking, he takes the helmet off and like it. I don't know. It just looked it looked kind of odd. It stood out to me. So I, I never really thought about that. So he literally blows a dude up while he's climbing, which I thought he like took a moment and was like, I'm going to murder this dude like in cold blood. And Fennec kind of parkour chases the remaining assassins over the rooftop of Mos Espa. And I love the part whenever she catches up and they kind of have a little fight. She purposely kills one in front of the other to show him like this is the end. Like this is what you get if you don't, you know, come with. I thought that was pretty funny, even though. Murder and fear, yeah, murder dude. And fear. Murder That's and fear. Knows. Well, we find out a little bit later that the people that they come from are kind of hard, like hard asses anyway. So maybe that tactic didn't work like she wanted. But either way, I thought it was a cool moment. Boba enters the back to tank because he's he was injured. And of course, we get another flashback from that. Boba and the Rodian prisoner are led by a child Tuscan. They come across a group of speeder bandits raiding and tagging a moisture farm that looks very similar to the Skywalker moisture farm. And that's, I thought that's what it was at first, but then I remembered it was like after. It took me a second to be like, oh, wait, timeline. Yeah. Wise. Like, where like, is this? Yeah. This is yeah. not. Because it was very similar. Uncle Owen's. Yeah. Like, you just, I mean, the only thing you didn't see, obviously, was kind of like, because there's that like big open hole kind of further on where there's like, they're because they're actually subterranean. Yeah. It's like a courtyard. You didn't see that. You just kind of saw the little like igloo like hut. Anyway, these group of speeder bandits are raiding and kind of they tag it with their own symbol on the moisture farm, which I noticed it a couple more times on my second watch through than I did in my first watch through. So we'll talk about that later. Afterwards, the child leads the prisoners 
uh, to a certain spot and has them dig for these kind of black bulbs. And we find out that these are the black bulbs that contain water and seem to be their main water source. After a period of digging, a six-armed monster emerges and kills the Rodian very violently. Just like grabs him and like deserved smashes it. his head. Yeah, I mean, you know, like was it was uh, snitches get stitches, man? Except his stitches just happened to be his head crushed into the desert. But you know, sometimes it's you know different stakes in the Star Wars world, you know. But Boba is able to kill this like six-armed beast, which I thought was pretty interesting and kind of looked like the Kraken from the original Clash of the Titans, like back in the day where it was kind of like the sculpture. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah that's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. But anyway, so he kills that beast, Boba does, by choking it with his own chain, which I thought was pretty funny and useful. When they return to the Tuscans, the child brandishes the head triumphantly, runs around and shows that everyone's really excited. And Boba, in this moment, is accepted by the Tuscans, And that's personified by the chief giving him water. When before, when he like took his own water or he was thirsty, they didn't give him anything. And the chief never acknowledged him beyond watching him get the shit beat out of him by a bunch of kids. He actually gave him water. And in this, Boba drinks deeply and you can kind of tell that he is satisfied at the end of this episode. I thought it was a pretty cool episode. We're starting to see more so in the next episode, we're starting to see a little bit more of Tuscan culture. But it's something that, you know, I feel like growing up, especially watching episode what is now four, you saw the Tuscans as kind of like, well, and a little bit in the in the prequels too, because they get slaughtered by Anakin. I was going to say, I, <laughs> I feel like the prequels yeah. kind of give you Yeah, a, I guess you're right. Because... It's- you get them in episode one shooting at the pod racers. Yeah. yeah. And then you get them being slaughtered. Yeah. The men, the women, and the yeah. children. So you see this from... In Attack of yeah. the Yeah, and this shows it from the other side, which I think is, is really cool. I know some people may not necessarily like it because of maybe they, they, they're tired of like, I don't know, they don't want to see like the good side of what is traditionally, I guess, like a villain-like character in the Star Wars universe. But I think it's a it, it rounds the universe a little bit better. It shows that like there's more than one side to everything. And plus, I think they say these Tuscans are a little bit different than other Tuscans. They don't attack other people. They just try to survive. So I think that, that was a pretty good episode to do that. So we'll move on to Chapter 2, which is called The Tribes of Tatooine, which again was written by John Favreau and directed by Steph Green. Now, I didn't do any research on Steph Green, but I'm sure he's fantastic because John Favreau picks directors specifically for episodes, it seems, and they kind of just either knock it out, they really just knock it out of the park because almost every episode has been great so far. Okay, so we open on the remaining assassin being questioned in Boba's main chamber, which used to be Jabba's main chamber, which so much stuff has gone down in. You know, we've seen that a lot, actually. And even though it was really only in Return of the Jedi, right? Uh, but, yeah. that, but that was a good, like, what, 20-minute sequence of... It was, I mean, it's how the movie yeah. opened. It, you get a lot It was lot a side quest, of... and the side quest took, like, a good, I mean, a good, a good portion of the movie. I mean, like, you know, not, like, 30, 40 yeah. minutes, but, like, a good, like, 20 well, minutes. But... Well, because you get Luke showing up and Mm -hmm. handing over R2 Mm -hmm. and 3PO and trying to get Han back. Yeah. Then there's everything with the sail barge, which, you know, it's a good. Yeah. Jabba is a big focus. I just feel like I know this chamber. And they did it so well because I feel like I know this chamber so well. You know what I mean? Like Battlefront 2. Maybe maybe that's what it is. Battlefront 2. Maybe that's what it is. It was one of my favorite maps. I just. Because of the Rancor. Yeah. I just, I don't know. But uh, so like, this is one of the things I think that the show has knocked out of the park because me, like them going to there, it's like returning home in a way. Like I know that place. Like, you know what I mean? Does it make any sense? I don't know if you felt the same way. No, makes complete sense. Okay. Like, is it really like, I haven't had that feeling a lot from the sequels because they really didn't return to anywhere or anything like that. 
but right. it was it was it was oh no it was just something special to me so i figured i pointed out so anyway they're questioning him in this chamber and we find out that he's actually one of the order of the night wind and apparently they do not break they do not give any answers whatsoever they'll take whatever you got which the torture droid made very clear you know in a comedic way just going on and on about how this guy is like he very will not break clear. yeah very very clear so of course fennec being fennec is so funny she's like well okay we'll drop him into the rancor pit knowing that they're psyching him out because as everyone knows who who's watched uh, return of the jedi knows that the rancor was slain so there's nothing there but of course this dude doesn't know that so he immediately gives up the mayor. Now, I don't know if this is necessarily true or not, because it gets it gets kind of put in question a little bit later. But he did not hesitate. <laughs> if it came down to it, he gave it up. So I guess every man, it just shows that every man has his price. I mean, I think anyone facing <laughs> what they appear to be yeah. or, you know, think to be a massive animal ripping them to shreds. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Eh. I'd give him up too. Yeah, that's fair too. I guess the Rancor is widely talked about and is feared. So giving up that it was the mayor that sent him, of course, they're going to pay him a visit. But the Major Domo intercepts them in his in the mayor's lobby. But this doesn't stop Boba. He pushes past he, him like he he's nothing. Tries to he literally him. tries to. Um, very, very meekly and pathetically gets shown where his ass is very quickly. And we find the mayor, whose name is Mok Shais. But he denies sending the assassin and instead kills the assassin saying that the Order of the Nightwind are actually not per permitted to work outside of Hutta space. He actually thanks Boba and even and even pays a bounty for him, which I think is kind of a power play. I don't know if he knows that. Do you think that like that was a power play? Like he was like, no, Definitely this is your place. This is your place. He's like, you're a bounty hunter. I'm the mayor. Yeah. And you do what I say. I thought that like, and like this guy, he's, he doesn't look like a very intimidating character, but like he, the way that he acted, like he was like, he's not like his major domo. He was unflappable. Like he couldn't like, like no matter what Boba did, he would, he couldn't really scare him, even though they were both trying to like scare each other, be like big and scary. I thought that was pretty interesting. Oh, it was, it was definitely a pissing contest. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Dude. Like. Who's going to break first? Yeah. And neither one of them did. And Boba completely insists that he is no longer a bounty hunter, to which uh, Mok Shais was like, oh, that's not what I heard. You know, ma, ma, ma. And about a threatening wit, Shais actually points Boba back in the direction of Garza Whip, the owner of the cantina that we saw last episode. While Koi at first, whenever they return, Garza folds when confronted. Apparently, the twins have staked their claim. The twins being cousins of Jabba, um, and they're coming back to Tatooine to take their take claim of their cousin's throne. Once he receives this news, you know, story mechanic, obviously, we hear the drums, which signature the twins' arrival. They step outside of the sanctuary, and the twins come. Like They kind of round a corner, and you see their disgusting majesty being carried around on a litter, I might add. Something that is clearly By a custom. The most unfortunate group of slaves. Oh my! Oh my God, dude! They, like, can you imagine the literal physical burden of carrying two huts? Mm -hmm. It just like carrying Jabba around had to be bad enough. Oh but yeah, these guys like they're together. Two, two. and there's two of them. Yeah, it's disgusting. But as they come around, we also see a black scarred Wookiee. Which I found out is actually his name, which we learned in a later episode, but I did a little bit of research when I watched this episode, is Black Chrysanthemum. 
Chrysanthemum, yeah. Yeah, which I don't know if you know much about him, but he was a kind of a major character in some of the comics that came out. He was a partner of Boba Fett's for a very, very long time. They know each other. And I think there's even a couple lines right here. They work together. Um, there's even a couple lines in here that we'll talk about that I think specifically point towards that. One thing I do want to talk about is that whenever Darth Vader sent Boba out to get Han Solo, he sent Black Chrysanthemum to, to do something else. And he's kind of been bumping around. One thing I learned about him is that he was a gladiator, which uh, Boba specifically acknowledges in certain pits. And I'm assuming it was those pits he was talking about. And they altered his like certain things. They put like metal in his knuckles. So he has like they like surgically implanted metal metal into his fist. So he has like permanent knuckle dusters. Like Wolverine claws. Kind of, except like, they, they kind of just bulge out like they're not like knives. But right. like he's yeah, he's bad. Also, he was exiled from Kashyyyk. Like this is how like badass this Wookiee is. Like the like the Wookiees were like, please leave. We don't want you. But I mean, what was left of the Wookiees? Well, I mean, no, but he, he got exiled before I think uh like what happened in the prequels, like before like, uh, okay, okay. like back when like Kashyyyk was like at its high point, they were like, Please leave. <laughs> like he was he was too scary. And then like he when he went off planet or something, someone tricked him and knocked him out and like put him in like this uh, gladiator pit, which he thrived and then ended up becoming a bounty hunter. And both Boba and him have actually worked together and they have a history. And that's why he mentions uh, him being a gladiator and killing like sleeping. I forget they weren't Rodians, I forget what uh what race it was but that's because he did kill a bunch of people like a bunch of those that race in the fighter pits and complete and boba is completely unfazed and pretty much tells them to step off or to kill him but they only have two options they can either leave or they can kill him because this is his throne and of course in this moment they leave but fennec warns him that and i thought this was pretty interesting but he, he fennec warns him that he would actually need permission before killing a hut did is this something that they talked about in clone wars no that's pretty interesting. I wonder if that is like a like I think a it, crime. I think it's a crime world. Uh, yeah, because that seems that seems like, very like mafia esque. You know, like you need permission to like kill another made man. You know what I mean? Like it has to be voted on if right. there's like you know that kind of thing. I didn't know if it was, it, but maybe, but also, do the huts really like? Aren't they all criminals? I know you said some of them were. There's a thing. As far as I know, yeah. like, now... In, like the, in the new canon, criminals. are they all criminals? Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, anyway, I thought that was pretty interesting, and I didn't know that that was a thing. So as Boba enters the back to tank later that day, we flash back again. Boba trains with the Tuscans during this time, learning their form of spear fighting. I forget the actual name of the weapon, but the weapon is based off of something from Maori culture, which Tamora Morrison actually brought over because that's uh, he's from New Zealand and he's he descends from like the Maori warriors. So that was a part of their fighting thing. And the bulb on the end of like the big end, that's kind of a ball, like the little like sharp part is actually made to like crack into people's skulls. So like I thought that was pretty rad and i guess the tuscans put kind of a spear at the end so they're training him on how to use that and as they do a train flies by shooting uh, as they pass and killing a few tuscans in a flurry of bullets um afterward boba sees blaster the bolts. blaster bullets yeah bolts i guess you're right yeah, it's not bullets i never and I, whenever i was like writing this and kind of like coming up with what i would say i didn't know what to i didn't think about bla like blaster, blaster bolts. bolts probably should have looked it up but afterward like while they're uh, after cremating the the dead Tus Tuscans, Boba sees speeders in the distance and knows what he must do. So he tracks these kind of these hooligans, these space hooligans, these horrible biker like space hooligans to a bar, beats them up thoroughly, and then steals their speeders. One thing I noticed about the speeders is that they act. Did you notice that they were the same? Like they had the same logo as the guys who like 
uh, yes, like yeah, I didn't, the I didn't notice that at first. Raiding the moisture farm. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't notice that at first. So the second time watching it, that was when I got that. But yeah, he beats the crap out of him and takes those sweeters like it ain't nothing. But when he gets back, it's one of my favorite montages where he trains the Tuscans how to drive the speeders. That I love that. You know what I mean? Like just, Samantha. Yeah, like, and he's so happy, like the look on his face. But also, like, whenever he turned his back and they all started like to like to scrap it and beat the crap out of it, and he had to be like, no, these are mine. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I thought that was that was pretty cool and when the train comes back they are now ready because they've trained on how to use these speeders they're like they're they can jump from one another which you know is an important thing to do i don't know why more people don't train to do that on motorcycles i think it would save lives if they trained like people had to like jump from motorcycles to like you know other other motors yeah yeah (laughs) other motorcycles it could be a car passing by you never know what might save a dude's life depending on how flexible and you know what his survival instinct is using the speeders and working as a team the tuscans overtake and crash the train once the crew and the i'm assuming bounty hunters are before him boba tells them that a toll will need to be paid for further passage he does not like this this is a a no mess around situation as a gift of this success the tuscans give him a lizard which immediately jumps up his nose i thought this was, you know almost every drug sequence in anything is a little bit weird but i thought that using a lizard that goes inside his braid was it was particularly odd i don't know if i necessarily like that kind of aspect but you know it's a different side of a culture that i guess we hadn't seen before in star wars right did you think that was odd the lizard i thought it was an interesting choice Mm. i think it really symbolizes kind of the tuscans involvement with nature and their surroundings Mm -hmm. is what i took from it yeah because using like a drug like using spice for example being the prominent drug in star wars Mm -hmm. i don't think one i don't think it would have the same effect i feel like spice is kind of like cocaine yeah but (laughs) but i think that it's just another way of them accepting boba into their culture as well showing him the things that i also think that demanding the toll is Boba's true like start mm-hmm. of becoming a crime lord. Like oh, yeah. he did that and he was like, hmm, that feels good. That feels pretty good. I, I'm I'm gonna do that more. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe you're right there. I do think that now thinking about it, the whole like spirit trip kind of finding something is not foreign to Star Wars and it's also not foreign to real life because like native a lot of tribes or some tribes of native americans actually use peyote to kind of do the same thing it's kind of like soul searching there's also ayahuasca which is way it's horrible would never zero out of ten never do that but the idea of like using a substance to kind of go on like a spiritual journey is not foreign so maybe this is kind of blending that a little bit so he trips kind of like he's on acid and in this trip he finds a branch and he brings it back to the tuscans and this is what they what the tuscans were actually looking for so while they take that branch away they clothe him in a black robe and teach him how to forge a spear from that branch and i believe these are the robes that he was wearing in the mandalorian whenever he shows up and he looks pretty cool. He looks like, honestly... I, I'm pretty sure they are. If he had a lightsaber, he would definitely be a Sith. Like, that's how cool he looks. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And he forges that spear, which is pretty cool. And then later that night, Boba and the Chief actually begin kind of this rich, uh, ritualistic dance. Kind of like a haka that the Maori did. So some something else that kind of comes from Tamura Morrison's culture. 
And then it kind of turns into everyone dancing around the fire. And that's where it kind of cuts off, which it, it feels like a very Star Warsy kind of thing, kind of like with the Ewoks, you know, like where they were dancing around the fire and stuff. But also Minus the stormtrooper heads. Yeah, yeah. Everywhere. Don't worry, we'll get plenty of those later. You know, there's always room for stormtrooper heads. But I, I, I liked it. I thought that, I mean, you know, those aspects like the, the acid trip kind of and the dancing around the fire weren't my, necessarily my favorite aspects of Tuscan culture, I guess you can say. Like they didn't resonate as some things did, but I did like them. And it gives a whole other level to or like realm for Star Wars to exist in. And I thought it was a good moment for Boba nonetheless, for him to kind of like make something physical of him becoming one with the Tuscans versus them just kind of giving stuff to him and like him bringing the toll to them. It, and it was truly like them accepting him into their yeah. tribe into their culture yeah it was an action like it started with the lizard because yeah. i feel like without the lizard you don't find the right branch yeah like it has to be this spiritual-esque endeavor yeah exactly so that brings us to the end of our two episodes that we're going to do on this episode of pulpy fictions but i would like to give maybe just a small rating uh, we can do like ratings for the grouping of episodes i would say as the first two episodes to start i would say maybe a seven out of ten it's not and maybe i'm giving it a little bit too much i know it doesn't really hit its stride yet but like the action sequences are very very good it's already laying the ground for uh, what we want to see for for boba fett in a different way. It's taken Boba Fett out of what he's used to, and people have made that very clear in the story. So it, it kind of adds a challenge, which makes it more interesting. So I would say about I'm seven. I'm going to go a little lower, give it Whoa. like a six and a half. Okay. Just because, one, to be obstinate. Yeah. And two, <laughs> I think that some of the high points from both episodes were contrasted so much by the low points in these two particular episodes. So I, I'll rate a little lower just for yeah. that. Sake. Well, that's fair. I mean, I know that these, this wasn't like necessarily the strongest start. Like maybe just say to like the beginning of the Mandalorian, because I feel like the first episode was like it really set the tone. The second one kind of capitalized off of the ending with Grogu and like him like defying the bounty hunter. You know what I mean? So like that was like a one two punch that really kicked it. Well, this one is it's still it's trying to tread some new ground, obviously, but with stuff that we we want to know and we like we is a known quantity to us. So I would think you're right, maybe six point five seven right around in there. But hopefully as as it goes on and we've seen a couple more episodes, it gets better and better and kind of picks up more steam like I know John Favreau can do. And that brings us to the end, guys. I know we finished another thing. Um, we talked about it. Um, it hopefully it was a little bit more streamlined and it didn't kill you guys to listen to it. Um, but we're going to be doing some more stuff in the future. Um, we're going to be talking about some more anime. Um, I'm probably going to go ahead and, and no one said anything about the whole Eternals uh, um, breakdown. So I'm probably going to go ahead and do it in my free time because I might as well. It'll probably be a little bit faster than the first half because I'm starting to understand a little bit uh, better on how to do notes and how to break it down. Uh, but we shall see. So, the first anime that I'm going to try to do is Demon Slayer. But we shall see what happens. That being said, thank you for listening, if you did. And hopefully you come back soon. Be good. I love you.